The Bible reading today comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 4. And um, the stone that gets mentioned in here just sort of uh, is Jesus. It's mentioned a few times. So, All right, 1 Peter 2 from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Jeff, and hello, everyone. Uh, It's lovely to see you all. Um, If we haven't met before, my name's Jamie. Uh, I'm the campus pastor at Trinity Church, Colonel Lack Gardens, and it's really lovely to get to visit Tonsley today. Um, Lots of you came from uh, Trinity Colonel Lack Gardens to start this church earlier this year, Um, and it's lovely to see lots of people that I know and miss from there. Um, and, but it's also, can I say, it's really great to see lots of faces that I don't know uh, who have since started coming to this new church. Um, can I say that everyone over at Colonel Light Gardens uh, sends you their love and really want you to know that we're all really cheering you on and praying for you. And for me, it's so lovely to get to come along and really see lots of answers to prayer uh, just being here today uh, as I visit this community built by the gospel. So thanks for having me. It'd be great to keep your Bibles open to that great passage from 1 Peter, but as we kind of get back into it, let me ask you, when was the last time you thought to yourself, I was made for this? Do you know that feeling? When you're doing something and it's just natural, you could get wrapped up doing it for hours and not even realise My first memory of that was in my teens when I realised that I love playing the guitar. We had this detached back room growing up and I could walk in there with my guitar and my friends and just disappear for hours. What is that thing for you? A sport you love? Is it a job you're really good at? Or maybe it's just those quiet moments just being with your family. As I list those things off, um, perhaps you find yourself thinking, I wish I had a thing like that, something that I was made to do. Or if you do have one of those things, uh, if you're anything like me, you might find yourself thinking, 
I wish I could get that sense of purpose a bit more often. That made for this feeling. It's great when it's there. Uh, But I dare say, um, not having met everyone here, that all of us have probably tasted what it's like at one point or another to flounder for purpose and wonder, what am I meant to be doing? As a teenager, I got lots of encouragement about my guitar playing and it was really confidence building. Uh, Towards the end of school, there was really never any doubt of what I would do next and that was as much music as I could until I hit that big audition for the uni course and I didn't make it. It took a while to process, but I think my sense of confidence and my self-esteem and even sense of who I was really took a beating. Because if life is all about finding what you're good at and then doing that thing, what happens when there are others who are better at that thing? What happens when the encouragement stops or when there are other things you just have to do? It turned out to be a very slippery place for me to stand. And for me, as a young adult, I only really started enjoying music again when I realized there was more to who I was than guitar. If purpose in life is all about being the best version of myself that I can be, what happens when... I fail, and I'm not good at it. Now, it might not surprise you to hear the preacher say that there is much sturdier purpose to be found in knowing Jesus. And can I say, logically, if there is a creator God who personally made you, it makes sense that this God would be well-placed to say something about what you were made for. But how does that grand sense of purpose fit with my experience in the humdrum of life when others around me don't think it's a commendable thing to follow Jesus, when I don't do a good job of it, or when life is just plain hard? That's the tension I think Peter's first readers were grappling with What does it look like to live with purpose as God's chosen people scattered in dribs and drabs amidst the brutal Roman Empire? Life is challenging for this strange minority, Uh, a lot like uh, believers here today. uh, They experienced not full-on persecution, but Christians were insulted. There were tensions in homes and just the everyday pain of life in a broken world. What would have happened if those early Christians started to believe what the world around them said, that they were just another fringy religious group? And in fact, unlike their Jewish and pagan friends, they didn't even have a real temple to go to. They were just little house churches with their strange morals and their claim that a crucified man rose again. They just don't fit If that's how they saw themselves, it'd be understandable if they found themselves a bit sad about their place in the world. They might start finding following Jesus a grind. Church might start to feel like a duty. You might start feeling just a tad bitter, wouldn't you, that the grand purposes of the gospel 
have led you to such an unimpressive life. It'd be understandable if you started looking for that sense of purpose and what you were made for somewhere else. In the face of those discouragements, Peter makes it beautifully clear to believers then and now, God has chosen you for a reason and an excellent one at that. So let's unpack that great purpose through the three headings I've got there in your outlines. Point one, God is building something glorious and we're a part of it. Have a look again at verse four. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Just as the risen Jesus is the foundational living stone, his followers too are like little living stones being built up into something glorious. That means that just as Jesus is chosen and precious, so too are everyday believers like you and me. As with the Saviour, so with the saved. Now, I can understand the perfect Son of God being precious to the Father, but wow, ordinary, imperfect, sometimes floundering people like you and me, who were once enemies of God living as if he didn't exist, chosen to be living stones in God's building project. As verse 9 puts it, you are God's special possession. When my wife Aisha was in year eight, she found out that she had a rare medical condition that meant she needed crutches for a whole year. Can you imagine how hard that year was for her? Her first year of high school, not just because of her condition, but because of how people looked at her. When we got married, Aisha's mum wrote her a letter and she talked about that year in the letter. She wrote, I used to stand on the trampoline in the front yard and watch you crutching along to school and I wished that it could have been me in those crutches instead of you. It was such a heart-wrenching thing to read because you can hear, can't you, just how precious Little Aisha was to her mum. The kids at school saw someone different who couldn't join in with PE. But in her mum's eyes, her precious daughter going through a hard time. And can you imagine how fiercely her mum would have reacted if she heard some other year eight making fun of her precious possession? That's a taste of how God views not only his son, but all who throw their lot in with him. When the Christian life feels unimpressive, remember that. Just as Jesus was rejected by people, but precious in God's eyes, so are you. So precious that the master craftsman chooses to build you into his masterpiece. 
Peter describes that masterpiece using two different images in verse 5, a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. Both take us into the Old Testament temple where the infinite God chose to make himself present in a finite world. Imagine, you've been kicked out of your first century synagogue and temple for following Jesus if you're Jewish. If you're a Gentile, you've lost your place at the local pagan temple. But Peter says, that doesn't matter. If you believe in Jesus, you yourselves are being built into the true temple of God. God is making himself present in the world through his people, whether they meet in a church building, a house, or the old Mitsubishi factory known as Tonsley Tafe. And he's building his people into a holy priesthood. Priests in the Old Testament uh, had an incredibly special role in the temple. They were the ones set aside to be the link between a tainted people and a pure God. The priest would make sacrifices that paid for the wrongs of the people in blood, but not their own. And when the people wandered, the priests would pray and call them back with God's very words. And can you hear how Peter applies that idea? Simply by belonging to Jesus, any and every believer has this staggering dignity, a holy priest of God. Not just the paid leaders, not just the especially gifted or well put together, Every Christian is a priest with a role in God's work, being that link, making God's forgiveness and his goodness known to the world. Peter's saying to those humble little churches dotted around Asia Minor, you are little outposts of God's presence in a finite world. And notice the present tense there in verse 5. You are being built. That tells me two things. First, we are a work in progress. Church, this side of Jesus' return is not going to be perfect. And yet second, this is a genuine reality now. As churches get together to do the very ordinary things of church life today, hearing God's word, encouraging each other, singing about Jesus, God is building us together right now. It may not always feel like it because we're a work in progress. But in gatherings just like this one, the master builder is doing his thing. Do you expect that? What a privileged role to to make spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, not because we're so acceptable ourselves, but through our relationship with Jesus. That means that God sees your efforts to be godly when that goes against the grain at work. God sees the sacrificial decisions that go into getting here on a Sunday so that you can encourage your sisters and brothers. Others may not notice, but God sees and says, there goes one of my royal priests 
and I'm pleased with what they're doing. God is building something precious and it includes us. So let me ask, how is your church esteem going? In our culture, I think if you ask someone what their purpose in life was and they said to be part of my local church, you'd probably feel a bit sad for them, right? But we need to revisit our church esteem because that answer is more profound than we might first think. As we plan our hectic weeks, how big is this moment here in our minds? When ordinary groups of his scattered people get together, God is building something beautiful. He's making his presence on earth known. He's building up the downhearted as they remember his promises. He's gathering us to strengthen each other and so that we can be a little outpost of his presence to the watching world. Do I see myself as part of that work? When I look around at church, when I'm organising a swap with my team, do I see myself and my brothers and sisters here as fellow priests, royal priests in God's service? What a purpose. And yet it's still complicated though, isn't it? You hear these two notes sounding again and again in Peter, unimpressive humility and massive dignity. And Peter goes to great lengths to show us how those notes sound good together. Point two, belonging to the rejected precious one. Again, it's as with the saviour, so with the saved. Just as our kind and powerful Lord was rejected and yet foundational in God's plan, believers today can expect a measure of rejection. But it's no reason to lose our sense of self-worth. Peter quotes from three different Old Testament passages in three verses, as the footnotes in your Bibles will tell you. He lays out God's ancient promises, so we'll see how this pattern has always been his plan. In verse 6, is Isaiah 28. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Centuries before the Son of God stepped into world history, God promised his wayward people who were busy finding purpose elsewhere, I'm going to rebuild the city you've ruined by laying a new cornerstone in Zion. And his message through Isaiah was, if you come and take your stand on this stone, there is a way back to the place where I dwell. Can you imagine how comforting it would have been for Peter's first readers to remember that the Jesus they trust is that long-awaited cornerstone? As a strange minority, the temptation they would have faced every day was to feel ashamed of Jesus, the Messiah who died as a criminal, the reason people looked at them funny. Do you know that temptation? Here again, that ancient promise, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And so in verse 7, this precious stone 
is actually a believer's unflappable dignity. Because one day those who take their stand with him will share in his honour. As Psalm 118 puts it, the stone the builders rejected has become the most important part of the building. And so, like saviour, like saved. We're not surprised when people look sideways at Christians, or worse. We're not threatened, because ultimately this is not about us. It's about Jesus. And tragically... Some will be offended by his challenge to come and stand with him. In verse 8, Peter quotes from Isaiah 8. There God told Isaiah, don't be like your fellow Israelites. They're all turning a blind eye to me and they stumble over my cornerstone. So too today, the message of Jesus offers hope for all. Yet some take offence. As tragic as that response is, Peter wants us to be sure that rejection will never stop God's plan. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. God is not surprised. We belong to the rejected precious one. And really, the most dreadful moment of rejection was that day in Zion when the crowd cried out, crucify him. It was also the most precious moment of all, the moment that God had planned from the start when his son willingly shed his blood so that those living in darkness might be spared the punishment we all deserve. This is who we belong to. It's because he was rejected that we can be accepted. And who was put to shame? Who was put to shame on that resurrection Sunday? Verses 7 and 8 are pretty stark, aren't they? And it would be silly of me to pass over them without asking. I don't know everyone here. Have you responded to that cornerstone? Have you said, yeah, I'm turning a blind eye. I've been turning a blind eye to the God who made me. But I want to throw my lot in with Jesus now. Because the only other option is to stumble over him. It's very striking, isn't it? There's no neutral ground here. And Peter really names that desire to sit on the fence Or, you know, just to say it's an interesting idea for what it is. The word Peter uses is, it's not just disbelieving, it's disobeying the message. Because God takes it personally when we reject the loving offer of forgiveness that cost him so much. If you're a pessimist, you might think, well, is that just what I was destined for? Can I say that God doesn't tell us that some are destined for disobedience so that we might label ourselves or other people that way? That's not our job. Our job is to hear about Jesus and respond to him. And if you're hearing this today, I hope you've at least begun to hear 
about his great love for you. And so right now, you have this moment, this precious moment, to respond to Jesus and find life with him. If you're in that place at the moment where you're feeling a bit on the fence about Jesus, let me ask, what's holding you there? Please don't kind of leave it there. Keep exploring. Ask big questions because this matters. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. If you're already building your life on that cornerstone, this, that promise is so helpful to bear in mind when you experience rejection, explicit or subtle, for following Jesus. You belong to the rejected precious one, so you can be confident and compassionate. Confident because we know that no amount of rejection can ever sabotage God's plan. He's not surprised. And compassionate because you know how the story ends. You know that those who reject the cornerstone will ultimately bring shame and judgment upon themselves. The naysayers aren't just wrong. They need to be won over from darkness to light, just as you once were. Which leads us to point three, outward living. Here is purpose so dignified, so rewarding, that it almost sings off the page. Verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's what we were made for. Not drumming up purpose from within ourselves. It doesn't really matter if I'm really good at stuff or a struggler. The purpose is found in knowing this infinite creator who went to such lengths to call someone like me out of darkness. It's about being so blown away by this God that all I want to do is show his greatness to the world however I can. In other words, it's one of the great pleasures of enjoying something outside of myself. Say, when I'm really into something, say, the music of Bob Dylan, I like telling people about it. My enjoyment of Bob Dylan actually grows as I talk to you about his music. And if you're not into Bob Dylan today, that's okay. That'll just inspire me to think, well, what is it about Bob Dylan that you would love that you just don't know about yet? What's something for you that you love so much that you can't keep it to yourself? It makes me think, I have this friend called Jimmy. And Jimmy is a guy who enjoys things well. I always look forward to when Jimmy comes over because I know he's going to get me into something new. Whether it's the joys of a good long black, which I, I never really appreciated before Jimmy did. Or an obscure punk band that I just have to check out. A sitcom that's so cheesy it's good. Jimmy enjoys things well because he completes his joy by telling people about it. And honestly, sometimes I really don't get it. 
but I love how Jimmy shares his world with me. And to be honest, half my taste in music today is thanks to him. I think we all need a Jimmy in our lives. And followers of Jesus, we're all called to be Jimmy's. God has chosen us for a reason, that we may declare his greatness to the world. Enjoying being his people and singing his praises go hand in hand and they actually complete each other. If you're looking for purpose in life, if you know what it's like to flounder, please hear today there is no greater, no more freeing reason to get out of bed than to let the greatness of the God who made you, the God who loves you and saved you, be big in your life. God is building something amazing. And whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, his invitation is to come and get wrapped up in the biggest construction project in the cosmos. A purpose that will go into eternity when Jesus returns and we live with him as his radiant people forever. And it's not just the high and mighty that get the good parts in God's project. Everyone gets the dignity of being one of God's royal priests. You can spill over with gratitude to God in how you act and speak with brothers and sisters at church, over morning tea today even. You can speak and act in a way that honours him as you care for little kids at home. You can speak highly of him, uh, whether you've got the job of your dreams or not so much. You can make priestly prayers even when life sucks. So have you been striving for something less than that? Have you been tangled up in just trying to be the best version of you? Have you been exhausting yourself, trying to give your family every opportunity this broken world has to offer? God wants something so much better for all of us. And if you're wondering whether that could be for real, can I encourage you to taste and see what this building project is like here at the coalface of an ordinary local church. Stick around here at Tonsley for a while. If you've been following Jesus a long time, uh, you will know the pull of finding purpose in other things. Today's passage calls us to ask, do I still believe that life is about declaring God's greatness? Or have I gotten tangled up in lesser pursuits? I'm really thankful to be part of a church that's passionate about declaring God's greatness when we meet. And I know that you are too, because so many of the people who shaped that passionate culture at Colonel Light Gardens are now doing the same thing here at Tonsley. Praise God. Uh, Can I say, not least of all, Kelly, who just exudes a love of God in the way she leads. Uh, Thank God for her leadership. One of the many ways that I see that passionate declaring happening, uh, whether it's here at Colonel Light Gardens, is when we literally sing God's praises together. Um, Let me share just one example from Colonel Light Gardens. Um, In God's kindness, 
on any given Sunday. It's pretty normal for us to have people uh, who aren't believers coming to check Jesus out at church or maybe reconnecting with church after a while. And given our purpose, that's a really healthy thing for us as a church. We try to make Sunday a good one every Sunday to invite someone along, and I know it's the same here. Anyway, um, one of our regulars brought a family member along one week uh, who wouldn't call herself a believer at this point, um, and I got this regular's permission to share um, the email she sent me the next day after church. She wrote, My family member is uh, not a regular churchgoer, and it was very special that she came along. When we were chatting today, she said, My heart was warmed to see the teenage girls in front of me singing wholeheartedly like they really meant it. Isn't that beautiful? Some of our youth had an impact on this person because they were praising God from the heart and that was obvious to this person visiting. Isn't that exactly the kind of story that we want coming out of our churches? How about when we go our separate ways though? What does it look like for us to declare God's greatness on a Monday? I imagine it will look a bit different for all of us with the personalities and opportunities that God's given us. I've been challenged as I think about this passage to just rethink those everyday moments when the things of God come up. You know, like when we have people over and I say grace at the table. Or, you know, when someone asks me what did I do on the weekend... I find it really easy to assume that people around me don't want to hear about my faith. And I end up doing this weird tiptoeing act with my words about the thing that's actually the most important in my life. I want to practice making the most of those moments just to spill over with praise like I would for the other things that I love. We'll all do it our own way, but Peter's encouragement as we head into a Monday is to think of ourselves as God's priests heading out into the world on royal business, singing God's praises wherever we go. It's logical, but it's not always easy. And as we keep working on this together, there's one tonic that we need to keep coming back to for energy and grounding, and it's there in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We can only think about living outwardly because God reached out to us first. He showed mercy to a sinner like me, and that's why I overflow with thanks. If I try to guilt myself into talking about Jesus more, I am not going to get past Sunday afternoon. It's that funny thing about enjoyment and happiness. If I start thinking, you know, how can I be happy? Why don't I enjoy life more? It's pretty much a guarantee into a downward spiral. The solution isn't to think more about drumming it up myself. It's to lose myself in something outside of myself. Just like I experienced as a teen in that detached back room. The joy of being consumed by something deserving. 
And what could be more deserving than getting wrapped up in knowing and serving and enjoying the God of mercy? He's chosen us for a reason, to be consumed by the amazing thing that he's building. Now there's a purpose. It won't always be the easy road, but it is the joyful one. May God teach all of us the wonder of getting wrapped up in declaring his excellencies, the glories of the one who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Amen.